You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. We're on a collision course with the national championship and only variable is time. Because the train is rolling, so anybody out there, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now, but it's coming. Get on board, but get out the way. Every single play, you got to find a way to get it done. Play after play after play after play. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now. Here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince LaCoco. Cool. I've not seen it. Do you have a huddle uh, profile? <laughs> yeah. Do you have one? Hey, it's convenient. Was that a, was that a thing? Back in, I, I do, but it's also convenient that you asked me this as soon as we hit recording. I, I, I just, feel like this is a setup for you to like. No, I'm just genuinely fits. curious. Do you, you have, have a huddle? A... Next thing you know, like my huddle is going to be posted on the Pink Seeds freaking Twitter account. And if it is, that's good for you because do you yeah, know who good doesn't? Content right I don't there. need any more views on my huddle. Do you I'm know pretty... who doesn't have a huddle? You should share the link. Like, let's kick it back because that shit probably is fire. Let's go back, put a 21 Savage beat over it, and re release it. The un the hidden files. Welcome into From the Pink Seats Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have football. Football is back. What's back? Football. 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 I could not be more ecstatic that football is back. Uh, it's exciting time of year. I know you got basketball on right now, but it is, in my opinion, it's football season, at least for the next couple of weeks. As Louisville football kicks off spring practice, we are here on From the Pink Seats Podcast. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, Vince Lacoco. The original three here tonight to talk about what has been happening in the last couple of weeks with Louisville football uh, and then take a deeper dive into what is going to be the offense this year under Jeff Brom in his first season as the head coach of Louisville. Uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago with the defense, and I've I've gotten a ton of feedback about that episode being a, a really good, solid episode in terms of just information, statistics, 
deep dive into new positions called rovers. I, I still say that that needs to be the slammer or something like more badass than just a rover or a star. Uh, but we're excited tonight to dive into the offensive side of things. And this is really the the kind of, you know, the 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 true meat and potatoes of what Jeff Brom is as a coach's offense. So there's a lot of good things to dive into tonight. I know Louisville fans have been extremely frustrated with the offense. Um, and, and you're going to miss that running game. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but that's certainly going to be something in a few months that you're going to be wishing you had back uh, as you watch Jeff Brom's offense because it's one that's predica- predicated around what, fellas? On the ball. Duh. Come on, man. Yeah. Pass, pass that rock. He's done it. He's done it every every year. He's been a head coach well, going all the way back to Western. I mean, they put up points. They going sure back to did. Lighting up the scoreboard. That's right. And uh, there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful. We're going to talk about that tonight. A lot of talent on the roster, major upgrade this offseason with the a couple of positions. We'll dive into what that looks like in more specifics, and then we'll talk about the coaching change, what that means for the offense, what the staff is, and then I'm hoping that just like Matt and Vince gave us last time, our Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky here on from the Pink Seeds podcast going back and forth <laughs> with the, the 425. I'm hoping tonight we'll get into a really good conversation on the air raid offense and what that looks like. I watched about um, – I went down a rabbit hole, okay? Have you ever – I mean, I know you guys went to college and you have degrees and you guys studied and you accomplished to get that, but have you ever as an adult studied about something that you care about? I know we did. We put in I mean, Matt. This is a great example for you. you. You probably do a lot of studying, don't you? You watch videos and you go down rabbit holes and end up finding things that you didn't know existed. Tonight, I watched about 25 to 30 minutes of understanding what concepts are in routes and understanding different passing concepts. I just want I, I went down a rabbit hole, man. <laughs> you I mean got one video routes that aren't slants. It, Hold on a minute. <laughs> so I'm interested to talk about the offense tonight and, and maybe I'll have a little bit of a nugget. I don't know anything about offense. I've never played offense. I don't know. I've only watched. So I can offer what well, my eyes have seen. All levels and spacing. Levels it's, and it's exactly spacing. right. A guy, so, it's a body on a body. And I mean, at on the end of the day, Jacob, football is 11 people out there on the field working in unison for one goal. And if we're all like this, mm-hmm. we'll be fine. We'll, we'll That's be right. I, I have noticed so that, that the, obviously the audience can't see your hands, but the, the, the one thing Satterfield did always was the fingers together, right? The fence, the family, right? I think Jeff Brom's thing is very much um, just being precise in how he says that they have to know the play. That's his thing. Like he hasn't been, you, we're going to be together. We're going to do this. It's you, you need to do your job. You need to know what you're doing, and then you can play football. And I find that approach very fresh uh, compared to what we've had the last few years where it's been let's love them up off the field and then go play football. It, it's it's Ooh, cool. But... Whenever I was watching uh, watching highlights earlier today, uh, you could really see that, you know, coming through, Jacob, with guys understanding the spacing of, you know, where they need to be, uh, per se, between a distance between the tackle and, you know, the boundary wide receiver and things like that and the tight ends uh, – you know, spacing of when to release on a route and stuff like that. It it seems like if you know the offense and you run it the right way, then good good positive things are going to happen because Jeff Brom is essentially you know Coach Petrino with a better attitude and a nicer person, <laughs> <laughs> like and way more personable. So That's I'm excited. Point. But I mean, Matt and I were fortunate enough to make the spring practice first spring practice, which is cool. We sat together for a minute and. uh I mean, you can't really tell much off spring, first spring practice. I, I got to text yeah. my friends and let everyone know 
one spring practice, watch it one time, we're winning a national championship. That's but, right. Damn it. Yeah. 12 and 0. Yeah. That's no pads happening. on. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't need to see yeah, no. Vince and I sat together for maybe five minutes, and he's like, Yeah, I want to go watch the offensive line. <laughs> I had to I see my that. guy, Coach then, Owens, man. I was about to say, I, Vince is out there networking, he's not there to watch football practice. I mean, that's a part of it, but Vince is going around just checking in with the boys, man. That's all that was for him. <laughs> don't even no, lie, man. No. He's, I, watched the, I watched the offensive line because it was, I wanted to see what, did, what they did differently because in Jeff Brom's run game they do pull offensive linemen and you know even in the past game they pull offensive linemen and you know the past three years with Scott Satterfield all we run all the offensive line had done is stayed on the same track double teamed and worked up to a guy essentially and uh you know it's just different something that you know I'm anxious to see what uh Renato Brown might look like pulling on the outside what a Brian Hudson might look like pulling on the outside I, I mean it's it's pretty cool. And they were doing some different stuff too. I mean, how many, I, I doubt you guys have seen offensive linemen start off on a ladder in their individual period before you're probably used to them, like hitting a sled or something like that. Nope. They started yep. off on a ladder, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, I mean, Cause I mean, I love a big huge offensive lineman, but if he can't block anybody 15 yards downfield on a screenplay, then what's, you know, what's the matter that much. That's facts. I mean, ask Rondell more about that, right? If he had some big, chunky, burly, normal oh. Big Ten offensive linemen. Oh, please tell me you guys remember the Michigan State play from last year with the Jacob, this is right up your alley. You need to Google this play. It was a uh, reverse uh, reverse pass for a touchdown. Remember the one that Louisville had where it broke and we had all the offensive linemen out in front Yeah, and we didn't score? Yeah. So Purdue ran the jet, they ran the jet and, uh, you know, quarterback hands it off to the wide receiver. And then that wide receiver flips it back to the, uh, other, the other side of the wide receiver, probably the Z coming back the other way. Whenever he flips it to him, flips it back to the quarterback and the entire offensive line was all the way down on the other side. Like they had just blocked for that run play. And I mean, it was nothing but green grass in front of him for a touchdown. What game was that, man? Was that Pittsburgh? Ole Miss? No, no, no. Was it Pittsburgh? No, it was way late in the season, man. It was like, but identical play, but just everything went right, and you know they did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, look, <laughs> that no one has ever said that Jeff Brom's offense is boring. There's not ever been a complaint <laughs> about his offense, uh, and you can go back to like the the uh, Bahama Bowl, like the first year he was there. If you remember, I think it was. Oh yeah. I mean, there are some really notable Jeff Brom plays, and I look. I don't say I don't obviously take what Urban Meyer says with any form of seriousness, but I did enjoy. I watched a film session today in terms of that rabbit hole of concepts. I watched a a, a concept that he drew up with the Big Ten commentator um, on the on the whiteboard, and I just found it really interesting the way that he spoke about Jeff Brom's offense. And this is a guy who firsthand got to see that offense and, and a massive upset, obviously. Um, so you're talking about the respect being out there for Jeff Brom. Um, it, it's just really interesting to see. So we got a lot to talk about. Let's do this. Okay. Let's talk about some of the specifics in the off season. We did this last week where we dove into the roster, what's coming back, what's going out. The coaching staff is already obviously a big part of the discussion. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about some storylines and dive into uh, the scheme a little bit. This offseason was already really going to be interesting, fellas, because of the mm -hmm. fact that Malik Cunningham, 
who's been playing at quarterback since I was in, you know, grade school is, is departing and going on to the next phase of his career. And this is going to be the first time you have a new quarterback since, you know, essentially since Lamar. I mean, I know you had Juwan in there obviously, but this is a really interesting off season because you didn't know what was going to happen. You knew there needed to be a quarterback likely to bridge the gap between Malik and Pierce Clarkson. Uh, but we didn't know what that was going to look like. Right. You look like you want to say something, Vince. You want to hop in and add some, some context. Uh, no, I do not. I was listening to what okay. you were saying. Jacob. I okay. just had that. You're a, you have a, you have a very time. good intent, like listening face. I, I like was that. also, I was reading at the same time. I was just, it's pretty cool to see freaking Brian Brom as QBOC <laughs> and to see him the other day at practice, mm -hmm. like on the, I know I tweeted about it, but like as a kid growing up, you know, going to Trinity, going to Louisville, I mean, just idolize Trinity reference drink. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's idolizing right. the ground, the man, like, I mean, it was just dope as a just my inner childhood had a moment there. It's like I seeing can, Peyton Siva on the basketball. Yeah, stuff. man. I mean, I, exactly like, right. Like, right. Exactly right. I mean, this is like the the everybody always jokes about Louisville fans want nothing but just all alumni on staff. Like this is one of those things where it's like you not only are you getting an alumni and getting like one of the greatest players, but he's a very qualified coach. Like yeah, that's a like, very if your alumni thing. knows their shit. What's the problem? <laughs> I just love it. Like, I, I, and I don't think he's going to, if Louisville does their job over the next two years, I don't think he's going to be here very long. Like, I think he's a guy who could get hired up by somebody to come in as a head coach. Uh, but it is so cool. It's cool seeing him. It's cool seeing Garrick McGee. It's cool seeing Richard Owens. Um, you know, it's cool seeing these guys that are from Chris Barclay. I, I you know, obviously played at Mail. I don't know much about him, but a Louisville guy. Um, you know, as a website that celebrates sports in the city, that's exciting to see guys like that come home and, and be on the staff because that means that they people who live here care about this place. People who have been here love it. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So it's like you, it's already that that added kind of passion to your recruiting and stuff. But uh, overall for the offense, it's it's a really interesting change. You have a new quarterback, new system, new coach, but there's familiarity all over the place, as I kind of alluded to. So uh, out, you have Satterfield, um, obviously, and then Lance Taylor is your OC who departs to Western Michigan, uh, and then a, a number of staffers that follow uh, Satterfield at the Cincinnati. And replacing them, you bring in a good chunk of Purdue's offense, offensive staff, but you also bring in a couple of new guys. Uh, really just one new guy, uh, but you, it's Jeff Brown. Brian Brom is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Chris Barclay, Garrick McGee is the wide receiver coach. Uh, and then Ryan Wallace is the tight end coach. And then you have Richard Owens who comes in from, was it Georgia Southern? Uh, Georgia State. So Georgia yeah. Southern, yeah. But he's a guy who was on staff in 2018. Vince, uh, a guy yeah, that you know was, very well. Yeah, he, uh, I believe, was initially in the recruiting department, and then the situation with Coach K happened, and uh, Coach Owens being an NFL tight end was the natural, you know, person to slide over into that position. So uh, That's interesting cool that he's some... kind of continued his coaching career since then as a guy who stepped onto the field, like you said, from an administrative role, I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, like, guys, guys like that uh, – you know, Court Dennison started in the recruiting office. A lot of people start in the recruiting office just because it's a way in. And, like, if you know ball, they'll put you with a, you know, a position or something like that and kind of just have you be that second coach that's there. Like, Pete Nocta is always around the tight ends. He's never, like, in the tight end rooms and stuff like that. But, excuse me, if he's out of practice and he's, like, he sees something with the tight end, he will definitely grab them and be like, hey, X, Y, and Z. And that's obviously great to have, right? You see, like, some of these staffs that Nick Saban has where, like, his 15th offensive analyst is, like, a former NFL head coach. Like, 
obviously not saying that that's what Pete is, but it's just great to have guys who played the position who are around that can, you know, just offer added value like that. Uh, when you look at the roster, you talk about Malik departing. You also have a number of really impactful guys that are leaving for the NFL draft. We'll get into the transfers momentarily. So don't, don't take that into consideration here, but guys leaving via the draft or graduation, Malik Cunningham, Tyon Evans, Tyler Hudson, Marshawn Ford, Trevor Reed, Caleb Chandler, that's that's six out of your 11 starters that are gone now. And there's a couple more added into that. So you're replacing a lot of production. Uh, you know, you have a lot of guys on the roster, but that's a lot of starters to lose. Is there one of those guys that, in, that either one of you would like? Give me one more year. Caleb Marshawn Ford. Interesting. Yeah, I do. Marshawn Ford and, and a Jeff Brom offense would be incredible. And Caleb Chandler. Caleb Chandler, I, don't, I mean, that left guard see, spot, that's the one spot nobody was really see, behind see, him. See, Caleb Chandler would be number two for me, but the only reason I would say like Ford over Chandler, uh, other than the fact that you know Ford, like you said, in a Jeff Brom offense would be amazing because like the number one tight end in the Brom offense for the last several years has been like someone who gets drafted and puts up ungodly numbers. But when you look at the the rest of the offensive line, I mean Louisville's returning what is it three yeah. two or three starters three. and yep. another two guys who are still who have reps under their belt who are coming back and you've got one transfer on that line so I mean the the rest of the offensive line is still you know in solid shape and then you look at the tight end position outside of Ford for the last literally on the entirety under Satterfield who else in the tight end room can you trust to catch passes that that is that is fair but. How tall is Marshawn? I love Marshawn to death. Marshawn is a phenomenal tight end in the Satterfield offense playing yeah. the H-back. H-back. He is not a yeah. hand-in-the-dirt tight end, and that's what every single one of Jeff Brown's tight ends are. They're all hand-in-the-dirt tight ends. Uh, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, Sherm and these other uh, – Sherm, Des Melton, you know, these other guys give me a, an extreme amount of confidence, but – you know, I also believe in Coach Wallace, and I think maybe with them highlighting the tight end a little bit more, the true tight end, because, I mean, I have in my notes here that the fullback is back because Jeff Brown uses a true fullback, boys. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking under center. Ladies and gentlemen, know. breaking news, Vince Coco has entered the transfer portal and is coming out of retirement yeah, to play I'm fullback. Back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just release a graphic from your huddle tape. It's just you, and it just says I'm back in big font with no context <laughs> as to what that means. No, but that's that's what you love to see. I mean, we're going to start getting some dudes with long hair. We're going to really – I mean, like, we're going to get the Isaac of, like, 20 what? 2019 long hair beard Isaac is what we're going to start to see yeah. more of. Uh, yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, See, for guys I don't even like think, you. I, you know, love Isaac too, but I don't even think somebody like Isaac would fit well into this offense just because he's not a hand in the dirt guy. He's not Stand a comfortable. Yeah. You have to be yeah. comfortable with your hand in the dirt. And there's a lot of guys that just aren't comfortable, don't get a right read, don't take that first step right uh, with their hand in the ground. So, I mean, I'm anxious to see what these true wide tight ends that we've been complaining about being underutilized will do uh, this year. What? Who's number eleven? That uh, was an incoming incoming freshman. Jamari Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a great segue. Yeah, Ooh, I mean, that's a I'm guy. excited for him. Yeah. So let's talk about again. That was just the the outgoing players via the draft, but you also have a couple of depth players that go on. Max Cabana, offensive tackle, redshirted last year. Trevion Cooley's carried snaps. Jalen Mitchell, same. Uh, and then you you do lose Luke Kandra, who figured to be the replacement for Caleb Chandler on the offensive line there at the left guard spot. D. Wiggins, Braden Smith, Christian Peterson, 
a couple of guys that impacted the offense, a couple of guys who really just never either for injury or other purposes, never saw the field, but here's what's incoming. Okay. This is where it really matters because every player who is departing via the transfer portal was replaced by somebody better, but overall the freshman class from the offense is ready to go. Like a, t- a ton of these guys are going to see the field this year. Um, Madden Sanker. It's weird to talk about Madden Sanker playing football now because uh, every time I've talked about Madden Sanker for the last two months, it's been stuff off the field with you know with Ellen and Meats. But so Madden Sanker is a guy that could see the field in year one. I mean, you're talking about the highest rated recruit in Louisville football history on the offensive line, uh, and then you have Pierce Clarkson, the quarterback. We'll get into that here momentarily. Um, that's obviously going to be a big part of the story this this offseason is Pierce Clarkson and Jack Plummer, Jamari Johnson, the tight end. Jamari Johnson's number one fan. Presley Meyer not on the show tonight, but he may be replaced by Matt. Uh, looking at the way that Matt is is head nodding there, that's a that's a head nod of excitement. I mean, that's some hey, serious force right there. L- listen, I I'm I'm not going to react too much from just the very first practice of spring ball, <laughs> but that that man is large, not large, large, all bro, caps he, bro, with an O. He, he's a day one. He's a day one guy for sure. For sure. I mean the it, the dude is heads and shoulders taller, like pun intended, taller than everyone else. He he's well built and the dude just gets open. It doesn't matter how tight the coverage is. Like he's still going to be open. And he's got this really interesting kind of swim move to try like a defensive end to try and get loose, like over the middle of the field. And he's just going to be a problem. See, I don't like that. All that's a concept. I hope he doesn't use that often because his ribs are just going to get tore up by somebody at the second level. We're going to put hands right. He, he's going to go like this. He's going to be off balance on one leg, and it's going to be one bump, and he's on the ground. All yeah. six. six or you got I mean, to catch him yeah. first. He, but he looks like he can take. He he looks like he can take a hit though. Yeah, no and, doubt he can and, take, he'll, he'll get I, up I was, for sure. And, I mean, I, I was talking to a uh, Keith Wynn who was sitting right next to me, like when you left, Vince, and I I looked at him and said, Johnson looks like he's got an ass like a Pixar mom. Like the, yeah. ma- the man yeah. is built. Like he, 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 I would not be shocked if he's the starting tight end by the end of the season. He might not be the starting tight end right out of the gate because, you know, true freshman, but like he's, I, I'm high on him. I know it pisses people off when you do player comps, but he, I mean, just pictures of him. He looks like Kamari Averett, like almost like a, a, a clone on the field in terms of height, size, all of it. I mean, he I don't actually, know. I haven't seen him play yet, but I mean, in terms of what he looks like, Louisville had a guy like that since Kamari Everett. I mean, and that dude was in, oh, yeah. he's like a Greek man, god, man. We had uh, Des, uh, who was Melton. it? Des Matt, no, Des Melton's a tight end on, on the team now. Mm. Uh, put his name in the transfer portal like two years ago. Uh, what was his name, Matt? We moved him to offensive tackle. Uh, oh. Desmond, not Destel, but Desmond I, Daniels. Desmond, Desmond Daniels. Daniels. Yep. That's it. Yep. I mean, whenever you saw him, that's what the, that's more what he reminds me of. But that more physicality wise, I guess I would say just watching his his high school film. Uh, I, I don't know. You can't say enough positive things about this freaking kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's keep it moving here because there's a couple of others. It's the same way. Luke Burgess, another guy, 6'8", 285. He'll probably be closer to 300 pounds by the time the season starts. I mean, that's a guy I don't think you have a need at tackle right now, but potentially a guy who could see the field. Uh, Julio McLean. Um, and then Katarius Hicks are two guys at wide receiver that are speedy guys and possession guys. If you want to learn more about both of them, go back and listen to the episode when we had Grant Mulligan on. He does a great job of breaking down 
their ability and how they fit into this offense. That's a very um, important part of this overall. Then you have Kewan Brown at running back Joe Crocker, the offensive tackle. And then it's when you get into the portal. This is where you're talking about every single one of these guys are going to have impactful, impactful roles day one. Jimmy Calloway from Tennessee. Kevin Coleman from Jackson State. Coleman is going to be up there with Amari Huggins-Bruce. Uh, and another transfer I'll get to in a second up there for the number one receiver on this team. John Pl- John Paul Flores likely going to be the starting left guard day one for Louisville. A guy comes over from Virginia using that extra year of eligibility after what the tragedy that happened there. Then you've got Isaac, help me here, Matt Garriendo. Garind- Isaac Garriendo. Garrendo. Garrendo. I wasn't too far off. I was adding a little bit of extra it's really emphasis. Not that hard, Jacob. I, it's yeah. Like what are you looking <laughs> like at a, here? You're like the white dude going down to Paul saying, "Can I get a quesadilla?" <laughs> and I get it. I know. I, I need some help here. And then you've got Jack Plummer, the quarterback, uh, Jaden Thompson from Cincinnati, and then Jamari Thrash, who is the said receiver who could compete for the number one spot from Georgia State. So overall, I think you're talking about the wide receiver position now being really a four-headed monster, right? So you've got Amari Huggins-Bruce, Jamari Thrash, uh, Kevin Coleman, and then you've got Chris Bell. Like, I mean, for me, uh, I've not – look, I understand. I, I understand, but this is a guy that I, I, I'm well, telling this, you, man. I'm again, telling you, if for, he gets on the field, this is a guy that's going to be extremely impactful. Extremely again, impactful. For, first day of spring ball, but the the ones at receiver were Thrash – uh, Mari Huggins, Bruce, and since Jaden Thompson is hurt, um, the 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 guy who was taking this spot with the ones was actually Jimmy Callaway. When but, Chris Bell was on that list that you tweeted out as being out for for spring ball, spring ball. I mean, he's not gonna he's not gonna participate at all. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, true. you're talking about impact. But, yeah, I guess I really shouldn't include him up there in terms of like a guarantee four headed monster. But I mean, I, but I really I, think, I tell you, man, I tell you what, if if. While like I've obviously am starting to become like the co-president of the Jamari Johnson fan club, honestly the freshman who was the most impressive during that during that whole practice was William Fowles, and that's not because he made like flashy plays or like stood out like that. He he just felt like he belonged. He was just consistent all day. And of course, when you go from high school to college, doesn't matter what level of college, they're going to struggle with you know, the physicality, the change of it right out of the gates. And Fowles was just fighting like he was a two-year, three-year vet in college football. Like, like it was just nothing to him. Like, he just looked like he belonged there. So that that was the most impressive uh, – he was the most impressive freshman that I saw today for that reason only. I, I'm i going to go with Katerius Hicks on that end for me, Matt. Uh, I saw a play in Skelly. Uh, man, it's like a spitting – it was like a spitting image of Tutu Atwell. Uh, caught like a over route and like put the brakes, uh, put the brakes on to go cut right up field. Two guys yep. flew past him because I mean, and like you said, off that one play alone, I mean, you can't tell much off the first day of spring ball, but if I had right, to get yeah. like a eyeball of the freshman I liked, that, that was that was cool to see. I, I five nine, 160, you know, put some weight on. Uh, that's another thing to remember with all these freshmen right now. If you do come out and watch. Uh, say a spring ball practice when they do have pads on is a, they're still kids. Luke Burgess just turned 18 years old. Uh, there's a lot of baby fat that needs to be cut off these guys, which uh, w- that's what they'll end up doing once these uh, summer workouts hit and everything. So I expect them to look completely different come fall camp uh, this oh, summer. Yeah. 
Well, it, it, it's still, it's a great opportunity to see just what you're looking at from a physicality standpoint. I mean, when we went out last year, I remember looking at guys like Caleb Banks and uh, Tafik Thomas, like these guys that, I don't think Tafik was here, so probably a bad example, but you're looking at these guys on the field and you're like, okay, I can get, I can get down with this. You got, you can see speed, you can spe- see size, you can see that you at least have a team that looks like a really legitimate football team. Oh, and that, yeah. That's encouraging, right? Because this mm-hmm. is a big year for Louisville football. Um, in terms of kind of making that next step um, with the with the talent that you have here, I think for Jeff Brom, this fits what he does overall. I still think that there's a little bit of of room to go on the offensive line. They probably will add a tight end, I would imagine, before the season starts. So there's still some spots to add, but they they have a really good roster, and they're getting these young guys in for spring football. Which Vince, you can maybe you want to speak. We talked about this a little bit last week. Maybe from the offensive side of things, it's a little bit different. I don't know, uh, but. How important is it for guys like Madden Sanker, Luke Burgess, uh, William Fowles, Katarius Hicks? How important, even Pierce Clarkson, who is out for you know for a little bit due to a toe injury, but how important is it for these guys to be here right now and get these reps? It, it's huge, and like even if you're not getting reps for a guy like Pierce, I mean to be able to sit in the film room with you know Brian and I'm sure Jeff is probably in there moseying around around there at some point. I mean. Be able to get those mental reps is huge. Uh, same goes for those guys who are actually participating. Just to be able to get the reps for offensively, offensive linemen. Yeah, you all will hear it if you go to a spring practice. Uh, quarterbacks going up, blue forty-two, blue forty-two. I mean, he's calling out these protections and things like that that uh, an offensive lineman is going to have to think of in the middle of the play. It's all cool and sweet and stuff, and I I'll, I might be able to say, oh, I'm blue forty-two or whatever. I'm going to get the guard right here in the film room. But it might not click when it hits the field. There's plenty of guys that can draw it up on the board and it doesn't click on the field. You know, same goes for the receivers and running backs and quarterbacks. There's a whole new offense coming in, so a whole new bunch of signals that you'll have to learn. I mean, I found myself a lot looking over at the signals, considering that's what I did for uh, Satterfield and those guys, just trying to pick up on anything that I could tell or just see. So, I mean, it's uh, it's huge. And, and to be able to go to class. You know, just to be able to get the college full year of college or full semester of college out of the way before you hit the season, knowing, you know, what you might need to work on and uh, knowing your study hall schedule, your habits and things like that. That's I mean, that's huge, too. So it's an all around great thing. I cannot imagine uh, just going off of my college experience. Imagine having that much responsibility at 18 years old that quickly <laughs> into college. Like I full transparency, I flunked out of. I mean, I didn't flunk out. I ended up getting like on probation after my first semester because I just didn't go to class and I went to every party that was around. Like it's a freedom that you're not used to. And the fact that you have to be at at practice at 8 a.m. and then you got lifts and then you got you got to eat and then you got to run on the treadmill and then you got to go to practice and then you got to go to class and then you got to go to film. That's freaking stressful, man. That sounds like a lot. I still remember like whenever I was coaching. T-Webb was an early enrollee for us. Y'all remember T, right? And, uh, sure do, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he yeah. Over, overslept for a meeting. So Ponce, you know, he's like, go get his ass. So, I mean, I walked up. I had to walk up to the, you know, walk up to the front desk of the uh, U-Point and be like, hey, I'm, I'm with the football staff. One of our guys is late for a meeting. Uh, can you let me in his room real quick so we can get him up? <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard. It's a hard adjustment for those kids. I struggled myself. I mean, I, I, I did not, you know, fly through passing color colors academically either, Jacob. 
I mean, if it wasn't for Regina Johnson in the academic room, I would not have graduated college by any means. I mean, she was freaking, <laughs> and, and and I'm not the only football player that can say that. I would imagine that for like, and and these kids are 18 years old, so I'm going to just disclaimer that and use my experience. And and again, I was a college student. Okay, we've all been there. Let's not pass judgment, but I can only imagine for for one of them, somebody they're going to get the worst wake up call of their life after going out on a on a week night with some buddies drinking some Bud Lights and then have to go to practice hungover the next day. Bro, I, that's not worst. for me, bro. That's not for me. The list of the worst, going out on a thirsty Thursday and then, you know. Oh, I'd be uh, oh, like. Got a Saturday like morning, 6.30 lift, 6.30 a.m. lift with all the freshmen because, you know, it's in season red shirt. Yeah. Red you, shirt deal. And, I mean, well, I mean, you're a freshman. You're not going to miss it. Burping Thursday. up the wings that you shouldn't have ordered at the bar, oh, like, late. <laughs> you no, get no, I'm not burping squatting. up wings. I'm just worried about not dying under a squat rack. That's what I'm, I'm saying, so, like, though. But then you have that drunk. added pressure of that, like, burp that you just need or that potential fart that you needed to just get out <laughs> right. the night before. Right. You know, the dads, bro, the day after drinking, that's a real – the day after drinking shits are a real thing. Having a squat 500 pounds the day after I went out and had wings at a bar, man, no thank you. And you're not just squatting. It's like a squat and then like your next workout's lunges and then you're doing a hip press. And you so got to go like, run up the stadium stairs yeah, or some right. shit, bro. Like <laughs> just like that's You want to talk about feeling good and kicking a hangover after though? You go get you some breakfast, bro. I mean, that's like some coffee. It's still like 8 o'clock in the morning by the time you get done. So, I mean, you're feeling good. Yeah. Anything else on the roster? Anybody, any player that stands out? I mean, we're going to talk about the the quarterbacks here in a second. Obviously, Jack Plummer is the the big story here because he's the difference of is this team a 5-6 win team or is this team a – eight, nine, 10 win team. I think there's a, a difference there, but is there anything for you all roster wise, what they added coaching, any last thoughts here before we step aside for a quick break and come back, talk specifics on scheme and stats. I just think the wide receiver room, because I mean, that was one of the largest complaints on the entire team, not just the offense uh, last season. And then, like I said, on the previous episode, I don't know when, but it's like, of course, when you're, when a coach is taking over a roster, you kind of have to, it's going to be two, three years before, the, a, a specific position is completely ingrained with that coach's guys because you've got holdovers from the previous staff and you're slowly bringing in transfers, slowly bringing in high school guys. It, it's like Jeff Brom looked at the wide receiver room and said, nah, we're overhauling this immediately. And he brought in Thrash. He brought in Thompson. He brought in Callaway. Um, then you have all yeah. Holman. You have all the, the high school guys coming in. And to the point where really the only like holdover from the Satterfield era that you think is going to be a consistent facet of the passing game, at least in the receiver room, is going to be Amari Huggins Bruce. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all of these new pieces who were gathered together like in a really small window of time kind of build camaraderie together, build that chemistry and learn this new scheme together and put it all together on the field. It's going to be interesting to see. That's a position where uh, they've been, you know, kind of like four or five, six guys, and then they get injuries, and you're playing walk-ons and Thomas Jacksons, which I, I feel like Ian hey, and other people. Dude, I, I was going to say, on this None. I'm not you're playing a it. Roscoe Johnson. Right I'm just now. kidding, man. I, you know what I mean. All-time blocker. He was awesome. I know. You know what I mean, though. All-time blocker at receiver. That's what hey, I'm talking he's about. Cooking you're proving you my point. One, he's cooking you in one-on-one. Hell yeah, he is, bro. That's right. I believe that. 
I totally believe that. All right, well, we're going to step aside here uh, real quick, and when we come back, we're going to look at some of the statistics on Jeff Brom's offense. Historically, we're going to get an offensive football lesson from Vince and Matt uh, on what the air raid offense is, what you can expect, how these are going to fit with the pieces that are here that we just talked about, uh, and then we'll start to kind of project out what you might expect this season in terms of offensive production. Uh, going to be a lot of interesting stuff on the other side, so stay tuned. Uh, as always, subscribe to the show if you are not from the Pink Seeds podcast anywhere that you get your show. We are now on YouTube as well. Not Ooh. video. You don't get to see hey. us yet. We'll, we'll save the good stuff for later. Uh, but uh, YouTube is where you can find us as well. Um, and also where you can find LM Eats, which will be coming here next week. The first episode will drop next week. We are excited to share that on YouTube. Subscribe to the State of Louisville YouTube. Follow us at Pink Seeds Pod on Twitter. We will be right back. I got flipped on my back yesterday at jujitsu. I'm really sore. Oh, got manhandled by another grown man. That's an unfortunate thing. It's a mess. It, it was not fun. No, it doesn't sound fun. It, it is fun. Sound, no, good. I mean, I bet it is fun, but that doesn't sound fun at all. That sounds miserable. Yeah, I, I get my get backs. And we're back. I know you're all expecting Jacob's voice, but we fired him. I love motherfuckers. I should at least should totally let you come back from break more often, man. I, I can appreciate that. That's good. All right, we're back on the other side here from the Pink Seeds Podcast. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, Vince LaCoco. You can follow us on Twitter at Pink Seeds Pod. Stay involved with the show. Tweet us your thoughts on the offense, depth chart, what gets you excited about this team offensively this year, all that good stuff. But we're going to talk about some statistics now and what uh, the the Purdue offense has been and what maybe we can kind of glean from that as to what Louisville could be. Uh, and then we'll also talk a little bit more uh, in depth about what the scheme is. And that's where I want to start is the scheme. I want to talk about what is an air raid offense. You hear that a lot um, specifically with like an, like a Mike Leach, right? RIP, a guy who, um, you know, historically has played with four wide receivers on the field, sometimes going full empty with, you know, five wide receivers. Um, and uh, that's not necessarily what Jeff Brom's offense is. I, I was reading and listening today that you, you they characterize his offense as an air raid, but it's really more built upon um, some of those concepts. And that's why I was like, okay, what what the hell does that mean? That sounds like football jargon. To not be built on – that sounds like something that we would have heard under Scott Satterfield. He, you know, they run this the zone scheme, but it's like it's built on concepts. Okay, what does that mean, built on concepts? Concept to me, mentally, how I like – how I did this is how I learned Sats offense and everything. Like a, a concept would be uh, so we had a pirate concept with Sat, right? And a pirate concept is a post and a corner. So, regardless of whatever formation we call, if I call trio right, or if I call trips right, uh, yeah, Z corner or whatever, but I tag pirate on the backside, I know that backside is running pirate. I don't even need to think about it or look over there. I know they're running pirate. I know there's going to be a corner. I know there's going to be a post. So what is tagged and what is being run on the front side? Uh, you know, you'll see a lot of people go concept, four verticals concept. You know, I, I hear we have a lot of those in this offense, a lot of vertical concepts. Uh, you know, with Sat and those guys, we knew we knew that 
you know, the one concept we had with our verts, no matter where we ran it or whatever, if the DB is five to 10 yards over top of you, then you're breaking it off and running a comeback. So, you know, that's just giving you all a little bit of a breakdown of what, you know, concepts and stuff. And with the air raid and passing game, it's all, I'm sure like you heard today, Jacob, it's all levels and, uh, you know, everything has to fit right. Uh, if a guy's running a post, have somebody right off his ass. I mean, just everything has to fit right. It's kind of like the episode we were talking about with Keith Tobridge, uh, just the yin and the yang fitting together. Uh, that's what you're going to be seeing a lot more of with this offense. Things. Uh, guys have to be on their P's and Q's and run things correctly. Uh, Jeff is really good with understanding his spacing, like I spoke about earlier, uh, and, and installing that in his guys. You saw that just off one practice with Garrick McGee and how he runs his wide receiver room and just how different it is from what, you know, Brewer and I'm sure what we saw from Lance Taylor. Uh, love both those guys, but, I mean, it's it's a lot more organized and a lot more disciplined uh, – you know, they, they expect things to be ran right because when stuff is lined up and ran right, then it's it's more than likely going to work. Uh, and, and watching their games back, it looked like uh, everything is kind of – they do a great job scouting during the week. So it looked like what whatever they were attacking was a weak point of whatever, you know, was going on on the defensive side. You can tell Jeff is a big – is a Petrino protege, protege, whatever. So uh, the main way that you can tell that is just to feed the studs concepts that they have mm-hmm. they're going to find the best player in the best situation in the best spot and it doesn't matter if that's a wide tight end and uh you know an inside slot receiver uh slash outside guy like rondale or you know be it your running back i people like to shit on their run game and stuff but i i have full confidence that if we had you know the five-star running back that went to a&m and he came in being a stud we would see a lot more of the ball getting ran same thing that we saw with Petrino whenever he, you know, pivoted and shifted with Lamar. A lot more running, you know, quarterback running, things like that. The weird thing for me to watch about practice and watching their offense, we haven't seen it in years, boys. Years. Under center quarterback. Yes. Wow. A little, little, little was... drop step action. We're going to see some three, wow. some sevens. We're going to see a little bit of that, man. I mean, I asked Evan after. Evan was like, I like it, man. It's 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 different. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost refreshing for these guys, a lot of them, to be able to get, you know, to do this just differently. Uh, what else uh, do I really like about the offense? Obviously, the fullback is back. You, you got to love seeing that, like we said. What does that mean, though? Like, how? How do they use a how? fullback? So, is like, it, we like a lead eye form. Yeah, I, more, okay. Not not a eye, true eye from what I saw. I'm sure they have it in the offense, but more of an offset eye. So, like, same eye formation concept. Just bump them over to the right or the left a little bit. Still in the backfield, uh, and and he is. It, it's not Marshawn. It's not Isaac. Where you know they're both like kind of tweener guys that are still on the thinner, slimmer side. Isaac, I hope you're listening so you can hear me call you slim. But, <laughs> but their fullback is uh if you guys remember Lamar Atkins that played back with uh Lamar Jackson and those yeah, guys. And that's a name from the, the past there. That the fullback's yeah. built like him. Yeah. About 240 pounds and is coming downhill at your ass. Okay. So that's like- really de- that's really deceptive on play action, guys. Like seeing, I highlighted a little bit earlier, seeing offensive linemen pull in the pass game is crazy. Like if I, it's not crazy for the college level, but if you, when you really think about it, like if I'm playing linebacker and I'm reading 
that triangle right there of guard to center to quarterback uh, that they teach you to read. And I see a guy pull, I'm pulling my trigger immediately thinking run. And a lot of times that's, you know, the couple plays that I saw where they love to leak that tight end out on that wheel route right down the seam and hit him on that probably like 10 to 12 yards downfield, zip him, roll the quarterback out the other way, zip the ball to him real quick. I mean, it's, it's really different and fans will be very refreshed by what we see out there. Like you said, Jacob, it might, people might be a little pissed not seeing as much run game, but I think with the way Jeff Brom compliments his offense, I, I, I think it'll be just fine. And, you know, it's, it's going to favor a guy like Jack Plummer very well. I tell you what though, I mean, as as successful as Satterfield's zone scheme running run scheme was, it was there was something satisfying about seeing a running back just go right up the middle, like just just watching it unfold and seven on sevens, eleven on elevens during practice, just straight power run, straight ISO, like pull guard <laughs> run off like off the a off the a gap or b gap, like it was just and watching and watching Jar Jordan as shifty as he is, kind of navigate through the hole, it was. Like that that's football. <laughs> like and, was... and they had a and they had an inside run period where uh it's the quarterbacks, it's it's the actual quarterbacks. You know, we're not sending a walk on or somebody that's what Sat and them did a lot of times is they would send, you know, the scout team quarterback or even a GA or QC like Zeb Spear, who played quarterback for them, would step in and just hand the ball off. Cause, you know, in their mind, it's we're just handing the ball off. But that quarterback running back relation at the mesh point is huge. Where did you see a lot oh, yeah. of our fumbles the past couple of years? Whenever at we're running those points. exactly right at the freaking mesh point. So it's you know, and that's not to say that we didn't work on that with them because we did. There was a period where the running backs and quarterbacks did do that, but it's much better whenever they're all together and everything is being formed and you can see it in front of you with the offensive line and everything. So that I mean, it, it's different. It's identical to Petrino practice. Uh, just everybody seems a lot more chill, a lot less cussing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just still your fair, your fair amount of like cussing and at you know getting after somebody's ass and stuff. But like, it's just funny because it's the same. It's Petrino, but it's this is really in my head driving home. I'm like, this is Petrino 2.0. Like this is you know this is your Petrino 2.0, not what we had with Bobby with Lamar and them. Like that's I look at that as kind of like a 1.5. <laughs> Interesting. So when when you look at this team, though, in terms of the passing offense, I know the stats obviously really show Jeff Brom's uh, prowess as a head coach in terms of building a passing offense, right? So right. over the last few years, whether it be passing offense, whether it be um, total offense, whatever the case is, you know, when I guess I shouldn't say total offense, but anything related to the passing game, they have been one of the top teams in the country from attempts per game to yards per game. Uh, passing offense in 2022, 21st in the country. Uh, their best during the Jeff Brom era at Purdue was fifth in 2021. The lowest was 47th his first year there, which is still a top 50 passing offense. And, and at, at its highest, it's 355 yards per game passing offense. I mean, that's incredible. But what I find to be the most interesting about this offense, so when you would think about that, and you see that as I'm as I'm recording these numbers, I'm like, oh yeah, the deep ball's back, baby. Like two two at well, we're doing this all over again. We're gonna have the, the number one 60, 70, 80 yard plays in the country. And then I'm like, let me look at what the yards per average completion are. And I'm like, wait a second, they're like bottom third in the country in yards per completion. And then I'm like, wait a second, 
And then they're like top in the country in yards after catch. It's all about spacing. And these guys are going to catch the ball wide open and they're going to be, you know, gone trying to look for that edge and get out to the boundary and go. I mean, that's how Charlie Jones got a lot of his yardage. I mean, Look Look at his numbers, 110 receptions, 13, uh, 1,361 yards. I mean, and a lot of that is just run after catch. I mean, he's not really a, a burner threat. I mean, the, the dude was a walk-on at Iowa at his last stop, and he, and Jeff Brom turned a, a walk-on into a first-team All-American. Vince, I mean, there's he hope let... for you, bro. There's hope for you, man. If he was a walk-on <laughs> at Iowa, you got a shot. I feel it. As a fullback, dude, you still have it. You got it. <laughs> One play. They just need what, to put you I, in his, like, the honorary. I saw, like, it honorary seemed like a lot kid. of their passes were made, like, right, 10 to 12 yards downfield, Jacob. Like, not – I mean, not – you obviously had your deep shots, like you said, like, that we all love to see and everything, but the short to intermediate passing game is on the money. And yes. Like, all that is on due to the timing and the spacing uh, between the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. Let me give you a little pop quiz here. If you had to guess, between these three receivers, David Bell, Charlie Jones, and Rondell Moore – who do you think had the lowest average yards per completion? Rondell. I, I might have given it away by, I don't know how I lobbed that question up. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you wouldn't think that. When I put it that way, it seems pretty obvious that it's Rondell. Well, I mean, like all, you he would did think, was, all he did was catch screens at the same time. He's exactly, like, right. But he had, true. what, 1,250 yards, 12 yes, touchdowns. It was like into, a Heisman finalist. I mean, I don't that, that plays into, you know, Brom knowing his guys, knowing how to get them the ball. Like where – it's not just, oh, uh, I can run a screen screenplay to yada, yada, and just get him the ball real quick and he can get upfield, make a play, and make something. No, 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 no. It's, it's about getting your guy the ball in the right situation so he can succeed. What, what he's comfortable with doing and what he can get the most yards out of. And for a guy like Rondell, it was always like a screen or something short like that, somewhere where he can get a lot of yards after catch. That big play against Ohio State, I, I, I don't think that was a deep, a deep ran route. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but the one where he hit that spin move and, you yep. know, the, the big one everybody loves to show, I mean, that, that wasn't a deep ran play. So, I I, I it's going to be cool to see guys, you know, I mean, I would have loved to see what Tutu, you know, could have done with this, uh, this offense. And, you know, if I'm a guy like, uh, who's the, who's the wide receiver that went to Texas, uh, the De- DeAndre Moore. Yeah. Like, Moore, man, I'm just like, oh, if we would have got him, if we would have got it's, him, this shit would have been it's, popping off immediately. Yeah. It's going to be interesting watching a passing game that isn't, wholly predicated on the play action because i mean that's why satterfield had some with so much success with deep shots because they were used to them running the ball 24 7 so they were all stacking the box or at least getting closer close to the box so by the time that they broke out the play action i mean tutu or dez was just getting or tyler harrell was just getting past the the safeties on the back end and taking them over the top so it's going to be interesting to see um a passing offense that has probably a bit more of a diverse uh, route tree from all the receivers and one that actually feeds the studs because that was a huge complaint post 2-2 uh, with Satterfield because, I mean, how, how many times did we complain that Des Patrick wasn't getting the ball? Yeah, yeah I mean, but they, but I mean, last year, though, you talk about feed the studs. I mean, that's what they did in the passing offense because that's literally all they could do was throw the ball to Tyler Hudson. Like, that's literally is an offense all they could do. That was but it. I, th- I think, like Matt was highlighting, I think that's predicated off of them just being so dependent off of the play action passing game and not right. knowing how to. Oh, no doubt. 
No yeah. doubt. I'm gonna miss the pistol though. We need to have like an episode where we just like I do, I do the like pistol. the pistol. I know. But... I'm gonna miss it. And like the the pro set where you have two running backs, like I just I'm gonna miss some of those. Like the RIP to some of the fun stuff that we I'm did see knowing all the signals and knowing the play before it happened while I'm in the stands. Are you gonna like, be like studying? I'm, I'm like, God damn it, fucking another one, another we, one. <laughs> we need to do some research and digging into how Jeff Brown does his signals or what that looks like and see well, if they we don't can... have wristbands on the wristbands in the Satterfield offense. Do they do the yellow left? They do the different color shirt thing. Like, do other programs do that, or was that just Louisville? Because I always thought it was so weird. A lot of programs. Buddy a lot of programs. Louisville, a Louisville staffer in a blue shirt. I'm like, that doesn't feel right. A lot, a lot of programs do that. Me and Zeb, oh, really Zeb Spear, like they had, they had like all our shit on hangers. We had like three different polos and stuff to choose from. And of course, I had like a yellow shirt in mine. And I'm like, and Zeb had one too. And I'm like, Zeb, are you wearing this? He's like. Fuck no, I ain't wearing that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, let's throw great. some polos on. What color are you wearing? I'll wear the opposite one. So we always wore like opposite color uniforms. So if team's wearing red, one of us is in white and black. I do want one of those purple Louisville shirts, though. Can you like help me out? Like, can I get oh, one of those? Nice. They had like some of the most random, oh, like what? I don't just for fun, dude. Like there used <laughs> to be a there used to be a store in the mall. I don't know if you remember this. It was called like Alumni Hall or something like that. It was right on the corner of St. Matthews when you walked in by the Cheesecake Factory. I think and I they had get you one. Uh... They have different color Louisville shirts. I never bought one, but it would like they'd have like a green Louisville shirt. I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's what I think. It I, think me you, of. I think I can get you one. Uh, go to. T-shirthooligans.com. Uh, <laughs> great, 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 great plug. plug there. That's such a great plug, man. T-shirthooligans.com. And so, I'm sure our guy Alan Thomas can get you hooked up with the purple bubble shirt. So when you look at the stat, the the stats from Purdue, you obviously see an explosive offense and you see one that is built on on, like you said, it's not built off of the play action that really kind of leans on a on a run offense. So what you get from a running offense is concerning. Um, I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but I know that Louisville has been one of the top 50 teams in the country, um, usually way higher than that over the Satterfield era running the ball, typically because of volume. And that's the case here with with Purdue, but it's the opposite, right? So from a, a rushing offense standpoint, 105th in the country last year uh, in yards per game, 113 yards rushing per game. 2021, 126th in the country. 2020, 124th. They were as low as 126 in 2019, uh, at 83.5 yards per game rushing like that. I, I, I'm trying to think of like how that stacks up against like a, a big 10 defense and what that means. And then what does that mean for the ACC? Can he get away Jeff Rom with just only, are you okay? Do you need like some Zyrtec or like some, some Allegra or something, dude? Like, are you okay? I have a cough. I just making Sorry, sure you, 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 oh, you have a sneeze. I just want to cure that for you, buddy. I feel bad for you. It's a cough. Uh, Oh, it's cough. Like, oh. It, it sounds like a sneeze. It's. Are you sure that's not a sneeze? I'm, I think that's a sneeze. Positive. Okay, I would have winced because my shoulders <laughs> hurt when I sneeze. Bless you uh, for future sneezes that I'm sure you're going to get to. Um, but <laughs> point, point, I don't even know what I was talking about. You you sneeze my way out of the point. But uh, I think you're about to say, can, can he they have do, success yeah, can the rushing? He, in the ACC? Can you not run the football and still win games in the ACC? Well, I mean. Jeff, I can't remember when he said it, uh, but Jeff Brom did say at some point in the last uh, couple months that, like during his time in the Big Ten, I mean, he coming from WKU, all he did was pass, pass, pass. But then going to 
a extremely physical run heavy conference like the Big Ten, he kind of had to incorporate that a little bit. So obviously the ACC is not like the Big Ten right now, but I mean, he still has that wrinkle to his game added to it. And just because I mean, they like you said, they don't run the ball a lot. You, it's it's not you because hit it on they the don't. Head, man, you said a little bit. Like he literally was just like, all right, run the ball like at the bare minimum, the least you need to. Like that's well, his that's, that's what I was about to get because looking at uh twenty two, um, they only rushed the ball thirty three point three times a game, which was ninety seventh in D one, and then the year before that in twenty twenty one when they went uh nine and three during the regular season. I, th- I think it was during the regular season, but when they went when they had nine wins. They only rushed the ball 30.2, which is 122nd. And that was when there were 130 teams, not 131. So they don't run the ball a lot. But, and even though their overall rushing yards per game in 2022, this past season was only 121, which is outside the top 100 in college football, Devin Maccabee still had over 900 rushing yards, and this dude was a walk-on. So, I mean, they can still have some success in the running game, especially when you bring back um, a guy like Jar Jordan, who almost rushed as many uh, as much as Devin Mockaby did. And he played what roughly half the season. So like they, they have a guy it's, it's going to be like the feed the studs mentality, but they'll only feed them when, you know, when the situation calls for it in the run game. See, I think that, I mean, obviously it won't be a run heavy offense, uh, but I think with how the conferences are, this is this is going to play. It's going to play out well on the run game for uh, for our offense. Just it's harder to run in in the Big Ten. And I mean, it, yeah, if you go true. if you go and watch, go back and watch some of their film. I mean, those are some big dudes up front. Realistically, you're only going against those big dudes probably twice, maybe three times now with how Florida State's getting back to. So you saying, don't even you don't even have them on your schedule anymore exactly. outside of so like I'm, what every three years or something like that. So, so I'm saying UK, Clemson, and Florida State would be your big three of like in Miami, probably maybe four, Miami if they ever get their head out of like, like some big big dudes at where you look at the offensive line and, or defensive line and say, wow, we are we're we're small we're a small offensive line here. I mean, I I just think and you watch how coach. I mean, that's why I loved watching the offensive line the other day at practice. You watch how Coach Owens. Uh, coaches' offensive line, it's it's a fire-off-the-ball mentality. And you watch Jeff Brom's offenses in the run game, they are firing off the damn ball and hitting somebody in the mouth. So it, it might play well with, you know, the weaker defenses that we do have in our conference. Yeah, that's a good point. And you're talking about, I mean, we said this a couple weeks ago um, with the defensive line. You made the comment, which I thought was really interesting, that this is going to be like he's going to inherit the most athletic defensive line he's ever had, right? Like you go back to that theory that Scott Satterfield each year in Louisville was coaching the most talented team of his coaching career. Like 2019, most talented team he'd ever coached, ever. 2022, probably the most talented team he's ever coached ever. So each year outside of maybe one of those two years, he was coaching the most talented team of his life. And I think that maybe potentially with Jeff Brom, he's going to step into a situation with running backs here. Um, And I I do feel like we have a small sample size with Jawar still. I know he really kind of showed both of the last two seasons late, but you're talking about being down to Jawar and Mo Turner and then, you know, Isaac Garendo and Kiwan Brown being kind of rounding out that room. Uh, I'm not sold still that you have that, like, I I think Jawar is going to be a really, really good back, but I still think that you could potentially make the argument that it's, it's not the best running back room, but it's probably the best he's had. I mean, if you look at it top to bottom, I mean, 
Uh, I mean, it's, I don't it's know not much what about it was. Close. No, 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 no. I'd take Ace Wells from Western Kentucky any day. That's right? interesting. Yeah, no, good. That's a good point. I mean, that they definitely had some some talent there. But I mean, if you're talking about that's one player. If you're talking about top to bottom, though, I mean, yeah, Devin Mockby yeah, was a good running back. No but doubt. again, it's a running. It's yeah. a walk on. This is a this is a you know four scholarship players and two guys last year who I mean they carried the load there late and really did a good job with it. Duar Jordan yeah. is special. Like I'm not I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying we've only seen it for like what like twelve games over the course of two years where he's like really yeah. truly gotten to be yeah. the lead back. Yeah, go get your I mean, Jaws yeah. merch t-shirt. Hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're just plugging everything tonight, man. Right. I, I mean the, there's the running back room doesn't have the depth that it had last year just because I I don't think it's normal for a power five team to have like that sort of death, unless you're like fucking Alabama, but like you've still got, you know, jar Jordan, Mo Turner came in a couple times and looked good in that bowl game. And Garendo at Wisconsin legitimately had a case to be the fastest guy on the team. So that's three guys that you can like get regular playing time at, running back spot yeah and and i really like the idea of jawar and mo and the passing offense because you talk about some of those concepts there's several concepts predicated on the quarterback having that short dump down to the running back and either essentially kind of staring him so hard in the face that another receiver comes open because of it or he's just kind of simple five six yard dump down and that's the kind of stuff we have not seen in the offense the last couple of years at all at all there has been no can you imagine a play predicated on the <laughs> running back getting other receivers open like that is a foreign concept to scott oh, satterfield <laughs> this has been jacob's harp this is why javon hawkins didn't get drafted in jacob's jacob's mind. i don't know if javon hawkins can catch a football but i do know that the passing offense from the running back was really yeah. honest it was really non-existent until last year really late yeah, right. um yeah, so I mean, they have a couple of screen they had a couple screenplays that they would run and other than that yeah i would be other- interesting i didn't i didn't pull these stats but it would be interesting to go back and look at um what their running backs have done in the passing game historically because i think we have two really really talented pass catchers and and Joar jordan and uh, mo turner let's talk about the quarterback position we'll end the show on this this topic here because i think that for now pierce clarkson is injured um and there, there's a lot of quarterbacks like there's going to be something two two of these guys probably aren't going to be here when the season opens but you're talking about jack Plummer um coming in from california as a four-year guy two of those years were at purdue uh, and then you're talking about caleb johnson who is a redshirt freshman three-star player out of alabama that a lot of people talked highly about uh including on this show here uh, and then you have evan conley and brock doman both guys who have started games won games and, and you have uh pierce clarkson so you have a lot of guys in the room and one i believe iron sharpens iron and I believe with some of those guys that Vince has talked about, the the, the smarts and the, just the mental fortitude of them uh, is going to really be helpful. But Jack Plummer steps into this offense uh, the second go round for Jeff Brom and and figures to probably start. I think uh, we did this a couple months ago, but over under six and a half or more. I think he starts the over on that, probably closer to the full season. Um, and he's a kid that is he's tall. He's got a cannon. Like he is what you look for from a quarterback. At, not mobile compared to what we've seen, but still serviceable. I want to make sure I throw that out. There's not going to be a lot of running back. We're not going to see a lot of <laughs> options. No more triple option. No more. Yeah. Uh, you Guys, know, get, no Malik, more, get Malik, get Malik and Lamar out of your brain now. 
like you're getting the polar opposite. Yeah. You're getting the polar opposite of those two guys. <laughs> like that's what you're getting here. How quick? Um, how quick do you think it'll take for people to be like, man, I wish we had that running quarterback back again? How quick do you <laughs> think people? Well, would they turn? always say the backup quarterback is the fans' favorite quarterback. So the Pierce Clarkson, position. that's right. Uh, but you're talking about Jack Plummer coming in uh, to be the starter this year, and, and when you look back historically at the quarterbacks at Purdue, what's really interesting is from 17 to 2022 the worst two passing offensive seasons. This is not an encouraging statistic here. The worst two passing offense, um, like in terms of like leading the team in passing, the two worst seasons individually during that era, that tenure, were Jack Plummer's two years as the starter in Purdue. Um, now, look, don't get well, me wrong. Well, to be fair, that 2020 I, I, season was short. It was six games, game. but they went two and four. I mean, let's. I, I get it still. I get it. They went two and four. Um, in that six game season. And then the year before that in 2029, he did throw for 1600 yards, but he had 11 touchdowns, eight or seven, 2019. Sorry. Yeah. Not, he's not been in the future. Uh, he's not that futuristic, <laughs> but in 2019, he took 21 sacks. I mean, this is, and he's a, I think a freshman or a sophomore and he's a four-star guy, very highly rated when he came out. But my, my point being is he, he, he did not have a great showing in his two years. And that's why he transferred. He went to Cal played on a bad football team, but he really was kind of the bright spot. We, if you go back to the episode um, and Lord have mercy, I should remember his name. Uh, but when we, when we talked to the, to the uh, Cal beat reporter who covered Jack Plummer, he spoke very highly about Jack as a passer and the ability to spread the ball and the ability to find guys and get them open. That's encouraging in this system. And I think that that's going to be a huge one. His stats rebounded in those two years at Cal. He proved to be a serviceable quarterback, but here's the question about Jack Plummer. It's the bottom line here. Can he win football games? He has not shown in his four years that he can make a difference in winning. That's a little a little uh, perplexing to me. Now, again, context is everything, okay? We know about context, right? Because you couldn't have a conversation about Scott Satterfield without some form of context. Mm-hmm. But what? <laughs> He went four and eight last season. I don't remember what Cal was the year before. Uh, like I said, they went two and four in the COVID year. The year before that was uh, like a four and six type of year or four, whatever, you know, the numbers add up to, to be the the number of games that they played. Uh, but he's not been a winner. And so this year you have all these pieces. You come in with a team that just won eight games, hot, late, going to be a hot team that a lot of people are going to be talking about probably like a mid of the the pack ACC team. Can Jack Plummer make the difference? See, I the vibe that I get with him is that he's more so of like a game manager type quarterback, sort of like Jimmy G. He's not going to win you games. He's not going to lose them for you either. He's going to do just enough and like get the ball to your playmakers. But I, I will say this, and I, I hate going back to the one practice that I've seen. You all I mean, in this one practice, man. <laughs> what would we do on this show if you all wouldn't have been to that practice? This show couldn't be possible. Why don't you just be happy that you had two people? I know. That went Look to at the you practice. Guys. I didn't go. Yeah. You all should be. Yeah, you're the only one here that didn't go, Jacob. Yeah, right. And Matt was down there sitting with the common folk. He wasn't on the field or nothing like that. I mean, that is not by his choice. Let's make yeah. sure we call that <laughs> out. Because I was forced to. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. But anyways. But um, he there were some times where he did put the ball in some relatively small windows. So, I mean, yeah, I, I still think at the end of the day, he's a game manager uh, type quarterback. But I mean, he can still make a semi difficult throw from time to time when he has to. 
here's a, I'm going to give you the number right here and I don't have the losses, but he, he's played four years of college football and he has 15 wins under those four years <laughs> as the starting quarterback that to me, it, and, and look, it's not the end all be all because again, every situation requires some form of context, California, not a great football school the last couple of years, right? Purdue, he was a freshman and sophomore uh, coming off of, you know, some of the the, trying to fit. Yeah. Trying to figure some of that stuff out. So there's a lot of things there, but I do think that just, just because Jeff Brom historically has put up numbers and just because Louisville has some of the pieces around that doesn't necessarily mean that Louisville is going to be a top 15, 20 passing offense. We'll see. I mean, it it very well could be the case, but it's not a foregone conclusion. And I want to make sure that we're very realistic in pointing that out. No doubt about that. I just want to see him, you know, come up to the line of scrimmage, make the correct checks with the offensive line so that he doesn't, you know, get sacked 20, 30-something times, which I do not think will happen with the guys we have there. Uh, And I want to see him make the correct pre-snap reads. The Jeff Brom offense can be, you know, I mean, it's not going to be a simple offense by any means, but if you make the correct pre-snap reads, then uh, you're going to be able to get the guy the ball, you know, a lot easier, obviously. So, I, you know, He's got great arm strength from what I've heard. Uh, he's probably got the strongest arm on the team. So, you know, I I, I definitely – I can see I can see him taking the top off quite a bit this year, to be honest with you. I want to see him taking some shots. You know, I love their I, – I love how they get the tight end the ball and work all the short intermediate passing game. But, man, I'm, I'm just – I'm craving for some deep shots and – you know, deep balls. I'm just craving. It's just nice to go, that we'll have an intermediate game period after what we saw last season. I, I know, man. I look. I love inside zone, outside zone as much as the next guy. But you know, it, it's nice. It's it's nice. The practice was fun. Just being able to it's watch. Nice, you know? nice to utilize all facets of the field. Right. <laughs> you don't just have to play in, in, you know, the Big Ten. They play in like one third of the field. They play in between the hashes, and that's like that's all you get in the Big Ten. Yeah, just so probably, just probably looking at these defenses, like this shit's this spread out. We can do like that. Really? Right. I mean, dude, you're talking about going to play Boston College on a Saturday. If uh, Jeff Brom's going to be licking his chops, we can put 70 up on these fools, to which would yes. make Matt McGavick cry. But at the same time, like, it's <laughs> exciting that that kind of offense. Am I BC Matt or Wildcat Matt? Y'all make up the damn <laughs> we, we move the, we move the goalposts. That's what we do. We move the goalposts. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up here on From the Pink Seeds podcast, looking at the Jeff Brom offense. We thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, we're excited. We've got a couple of great, a great, Great weeks of content here. We're going to have some guests joining us over the next couple of weeks leading up until spring football. Uh, and then we will uh, preview that game. We will be there for that game. We will have our normal recap episode for a spring football game, just like we would for a regular season game. And then we'll head into offseason content. Uh, we've got a couple of announcements over the next few weeks as to what that looks like. Stay tuned because we have got a jammed pack schedule this offseason. We've got better guests this year than we had last year, the year before, and that's saying something because I will put our guest list up against any show, any podcast, anywhere around this city, and that's a fact. Look it up. All right. One more thing, Jacob. Sure, go ahead. Make sure sure you guys, you know, pay attention to the L&M Twitter account. Boils will be out uh, trying a bunch of new restaurants. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, just make sure you guys enjoy.
Yeah, at LM underscore Eats is the Twitter handle there. Um, be sure to catch that all that all that out. And then I also want to make sure right now is uh, we're talking football, but Matt McGavick is wearing multiple hats right now. Matt's got his baseball cap on. He's got his women's basketball hat on. He's trying to become a lip reader so that he can get the exclusive <laughs> on what was said on the court with the women's basketball team. Hey, uh, hey my casa was ready to kill somebody at that picture bro, of Wesley Post. It was what? Really yeah. Oh, man. That girl. Yeah. I mean, Did y'all see the TikTok of the lip reader? Like the, the saw professional. Saw before we started oh, recording. Yeah, Vince, that's a. T- right. I saw a TikTok video before Vince. The world is ending. That's that's facts right here. <laughs> but no, seriously though, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, we are really excited about the next couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know if it'll be next week. It's what it's scheduled for tentatively. If not next week, it'll be the week after. But the Adula family will be joining us here on From the Pink Seats podcast. Yasir and his father Xavier will join us, and we're going to talk about uh, Yasir's career at Louisville. Uh, we're going to talk about the NFL draft and everything that's happened over the last couple of months we're gonna excite we've been waiting for this episode for a long time so excited for that follow us on twitter at pink seats pod at vincent lacoco matt underscore mcgavick at jacob lane zero eight at the state of blue at uofl report that's like eight twitter handles follow all of them we'll catch you next week go cards mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.